Joshua chapter 6. We will be looking at verses 18 through 27. The Scripture says, And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed. When ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel accursed, and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted with the priests, blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass. When the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and ass and the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and bring out thence the woman, and all that she hath, and ye swear unto her. And the young men that were the spies went in and brought out Rahab, and her father, and her mother, and her brethren, and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred, and left them without, without the camp of Israel. And they burnt the city with fire, and all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive in her father's household and all that she had. And she did dwelleth in Israel even unto this day, because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. And Joshua adjured them at the time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth this city Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son shall he set the gates of it. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the country. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for bringing us here today, Lord, to get, to get into your word and be in fellowship with one another and to get to exalt you above all things. Lord, be with me as I give this message. Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me with your fire. Let your name be exalted today and let only truth be expelled. Lord, be with the teachers um, upstairs and next door, Lord. Give them wisdom, fill them with the Spirit as well, and be with all of our sister churches this evening. Lord, we ask this in all in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of the sermon is A House on the Wall That Did Not Fall. As we see and we just read, so we come to a point in Joshua where we get to the point where the reader has been waiting for this point as you go through the book. We see Israel finally take Jericho. We see the walls fall with a mighty shout, but it wasn't just a shout. It was a shout of faith. They had faith of what God would do. They knew they had a trustworthy partner in it. They knew they had a reliable source for their victory. And that's what led them to trust the source, to have faith in that source. So then we ask, do we ourselves have faith in the source of victory? Do we have faith in God to bring us 
victory? That's the question. Do we have this faith? Especially when we handle problems or cities in our lives, just like Jericho was to Israel. So if you have a massive problem, the question is, how do you deal with it? If you don't place your faith in God, the answer is simple. Place your faith in Christ, regardless of what happens. So here, we read about Israel's mighty victory, and we are excited to see it. But there's another side to the story. And that is the losing side. The side the Canaanites were on. And this chapter brings us some insight of what happened to them. It says in verse 18, And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing, lest ye make yourselves accursed. When ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priest blew with the trumpet, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And here's where it says, And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and ass with the edge of the sword. So we read this. And we as humans, our flesh sees death, right? We see death. And our flesh kind of cringes when we read this. Because if we saw this today, we would go and claim a humanitarian crisis. And our flesh is very stunned to see this, especially from the Bible, especially through a command of God. But we must remember that they did these things out of obedience to God. In fact, God commanded this in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 1-4. through It says, When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it, and hast cast out many nations before these, the Hittites, and the Girgashites, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. And when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them, and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me, that they will serve other gods. So will the anger of the Lord be kindled against you and destroy thee suddenly. So we read here in Deuteronomy that God commands them to utterly destroy these nations. And he says, make no promises or commitments to them, but just destroy them. Further, do not intermingle with these people. Do not interact with them. Do not allow them into your society. Not to marry each other, not to befriend each other. And we come to a place where we ask ourselves, why? But the answer was put simply in verse 4. And that's because they will turn you away from God. He gives us the answer. If you intermingle, if you befriend, or if you marry any lost person, a person that serves the world, they will lead you away from God into the world. And this goes for us Christians today. I know I've preached it many times, but we must be cautious of who you let in your camp, who you let into your lives. 
God does not want you to befriend and incorporate into your lives a lost person, to, to marry a lost person. And as these lost people, they're lost and away from God. Because the bottom line is, is these people will affect you. They will bring you further away from God. They will start to hinder you. We can easily get in this mindset. We can change them. We can bring them to Christ our way by befriending them and indulging in some of the things they like. But most of the time, it results in a backslidden Christian in a relationship that falls further away from God. As it says in verse 4, they will end up serving other gods. They fall to sin. What I'm saying as humans, if we put ourselves in a sinful spot, we're susceptible to fall. So when you befriend a lost person, someone not of God, you're befriending someone of the world. And it's likely you will fall in sin and start serving the world instead of God. It's important to remember this, especially right here in this application of Joshua. I mean, think about it. How many people, how many generations here would have fallen to sin of obeying these idols if these people weren't utterly destroyed as God commands? How many would have ended up in hell or an eternity in damnation because of this? They would be falling to sin and they would never have found God. God says it would happen, what we read in Deuteronomy. So think about it. How many people that made it to Abraham's bosom here that would have winded up in hell if the Israelites didn't purge the land? It wouldn't just affect the people present. It would have affected generations, potentially even affecting today. All the babies that would have been raised to know idols instead of the true God. To know the Canaanites' gods as their gods instead of the Israelite God. How many kids, how many people would have been affected and wound up in hell because of this? Listen, I fully believe that in the long term that this saved a bunch of people. And it was because of God. It's because of God's command. Another example is during World War II, the United States dropped two atomic bombs. But do we know why? They did it to prevent a mainland invasion. And they did not want a mainland invasion. Because a mainland invasion would have a lot, resulted in a lot more deaths, a lot more suffering, and a lot more destruction for both sides. Well, resulted in a lot more despair. It's easy that we could see it right away and we look at these things as bad, but we do it before we knew the full story. Before we say something is unjust, we must know the full story because it might very well be that we do not fully understand it. We can also look to Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 16 through 18. It says, But of the cities of these people, which the Lord thy God doth give thee for an inheritance, Thou shalt save alive nothing, that brethren, but thou shalt utterly destroy them, namely the Hittites and the Amorites, the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, as the Lord thy God hath commanded me, that they teach you not to do after all their abominations, which they have done unto their gods, so you should sin against the Lord your God. 
God is commanding Moses right here. He commanded this to happen. And it's key that when you get a command from a sovereign God, you do it. You might add, oh, well, this doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it right to you. It does make it right. When God commands something, it makes it right. It makes sense that we know two things about God. And first, our God is holy. And I could go on and on and on, but let's focus for a little bit how our God is holy. The definition of holy in Webster is exalted or worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. We know God is good. He is perfect. He is merciful. He is reliable. We know that God is holy. He is worthy of our devotion. Worthy of our time. He's worthy of our commitment. No matter where He leads us, no matter when He leads us, His holiness alone means we should follow Him. Trust and have faith in God's holiness. Because there will very well be situations in your life where you think that you are personally in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing. But if God tells you to be there, you're in the right place. You do it. It's part of His plan. I've talked about it many times. God knows what's best. He is the creator of the plan. For example, when I work in maintenance and I work on a machines and I... You know, I can't figure it out. I always call the manufacturer. And a lot of times I'll run into things where I see it and I, I'm, me personally, I'm like, I don't think we need this part on this machine. Why? But then I go to the manufacturer because they know every, pretty much everything about this machine, even the parts that I personally think are unnecessary. And when I call them to tell them, like, can we get rid of this? Can we take this out? And they, 99% of the time, tell me it's important, it's essential, and then they tell me why it's important and essential. What I'm trying to get at is there are things in our life where we think are wrong or we think is unnecessary. We question it, but it's there for a reason. Just like this moment in Joshua, it's here for a reason, especially when the one who commanded it can see the results if it didn't come to be. We have situations in our lives where you get that feeling, God is wrong. Our way is better. We must know that there is a reason for everything and that our God is holy and we need to trust as he says and commands and be devoted to him. The second thing we need to know about our God for this section in Joshua is that he is just and righteous. We must know what they're commanded to do here in verse 21 is a just and righteous judgment. Deuteronomy 32.4, it says, He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all His ways are judgment. A God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is He. This verse sums this up perfectly. First, God is a rock. His ways do not change. He is firm. He is unmovable. That means we know that God is consistent. And then we see that His work is perfect. Something no human being can attest to except the incarnate Christ. All is perfect from God. Everything He does. 
And the next part, for all his ways are judgment. So if we take his judgment here on the Canaanites, we know his judgment is perfect. It's righteous. It's just. The Canaanites were deserving of everything they received. The Canaanites were actually a very sinful and a bad group of people, even what we would consider. The Canaanites were adulterers. They practiced incest. They had idols. They even had children's sacrifices to their idols. I mean, even we think that's worthy of death. Now you might ask, why their children and babies? Why them too? They haven't participated in any of this yet. Well, there's another brutal reality to all of this. It's a really strong truth. And it's the fact that sin affects more than the one who commits it. Sin, a lot of times, actually hurts others more than the people actually committing it. When a husband or wife cheats on one another and commits adultery, it doesn't just hurt the one who committed adultery, it hurts the other spouse more. It hurts the children. When someone murders someone, the murderer is not the only one that feels remorse. The person who killed actually feels a lot more of that sin in the family of that person. When Hitler, when he exterminated six million people, his sin affected millions. It's an awful reality of sin. Sin will affect many. It's good for a season, but that's where it will end. And after the season, a trail of destruction will follow. It's also good to know that everyone is judged righteously and justly. So everyone there will have given to them what is truly deserved by the throne room of God. That's what Psalm 89, 14 says. Justice and judgment are the habitations of thy throne. Mercy and truth shall go before thy face. He is just. If something happens to us on this earth that is unfortunate, something we think is unreasonable or unfair, just remember, we're actually deserving a lot worse. There is not a person on earth that isn't worthy of a pit of hell. We are sinners. We're not worthy of anything. But because of Christ, because of that blood, His blood, it's what makes us worthy of anything better. You need that blood. Because without that blood, you deserve nothing but damnation. It says in verse 20, So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. And the people shouted with a great shout, and then that wall fell down flat. So the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and ass with the edge of the sword. So it's also important to note here that not only were they in sin, but these people were in sin for a long time. A very long time. In fact, we could go all the way back to Genesis 15 with Abraham. It says, And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. 
But in the fourth generation, thou shalt come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. God tells Abraham that he will give the land to his descendants, but he wanted to wait until they were in the full measure of their sin. This shows us that they are worthy of the punishment given to them. But it also shows that God was merciful to them in between. He let them dwell in this great land for a while, undeservingly. Then if we look at Deuteronomy 9.4, it says, Speak not thou in thine heart. After that, the Lord thy God hath cast them out from before thee, saying, For my righteousness, the Lord hath brought me in to possess the land. But for the wickedness of these nations, the Lord doth drive them out before thee. God says here, the whole reason they are getting kicked out is because of their sin. Because of their unrighteousness. We see all the time in the world, we'll see religious extremists like Muslims, they'll kill in the name of God because they are not, you're not their way. They actively sin when they do that. But God is not sinning here. God has placed a righteous judgment upon them, a judgment that can only be placed by God And he is doing what is just and what is deserved. We must understand that the Canaanites dug their own grave. I also want to point out when there's an enemy, how do you get rid of it? For instance, if a twisted country was causing genocide, we would all want to go to war and attack them. Why? To make it better. We don't do it with the goal of just destroying. We do it to make the situation better. When you have an infestation in your house, bugs, you don't just kill one bug, you kill them all. Cancer, when you have surgery to remove it, you don't just remove a portion, you try to remove as much as possible, all of it. You get rid of whatever it can because these things will come back and start to infect you. I'm trying to paint a picture so we can even grasp what God is doing here. He is purging and getting rid of what will hinder the Israelites and cause many people to fall. We can also see from this that the Israelites did not get the land because of anything good they have done. It's a similar way because we will get to heaven, but it's not because of anything good we have done. It's because of what Christ has done. Everything good given to us was given by the grace of God in the Old Testament as well as the New. It's amazing to see. So next, we are going to see the other side of things, the side of turning away from sin. We continue reading. It says, But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath, as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. And they burnt the city with fire and all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass of iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive and her father's household 
and all that she had. And she dwelt in Israel even unto this day, because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. We see here one household in this land that was saved. It was none other than Rahab. Yes, Rahab, a harlot. What we consider and know as a terrible person, a person who sells themselves, a wicked, nasty, vile, gross person. person we would even know today as wicked in our world. Of all the people God could have saved, it's this sinner. She most definitely contributed to the sin that justified God's judgment. But there's a reason why Rahab was saved and no one else was. And that's because she believed. She was saved. She hid the size and assisted them. And she did it all out of faith. Faith God gave her. And this faith is what resulted in the mercy displayed. She had faith that Jericho was going to lose. She committed one of the worst crimes imaginable to her country, the crime of treason. She risked all she had in the city because she had faith in God and what He will do. I also want to point out that her belief in God was real. Back in Joshua 2.11, it says... And as soon as we had heard these things, our heart did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. The last part says it all. She admits that the Lord is the Lord. She admits that He is the God of the earth. With this faith, with this belief, Rahab hung a scarlet cord in her window. What does that scarlet cord represent? That cord represents Jesus Christ's blood. Her household was under the blood, the powerful blood. That is what redeemed them. Not hiding the spies, but her belief and faith in God. It redeemed her. As it did for you if you're saved. 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 18, it says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your father, that your faith and hope might be in God. You are not redeemed by tradition. You are not redeemed by work. But you are redeemed through Christ. And that is what is symbolized here with Rahab. And it's the only thing that can redeem us here today. Because that blood is the only thing that can forgive us. That blood is the only thing that can make us righteous and just before God. It's the only way we have access to God the Father. Think about it. It saved a harlot in a horrible city. It could save you today if you're not saved already. It's a special thing. Another thing I want to point out is that Rahab had a promise. She had a promise from them. A promise to spare her household. A promise from the spies to her. But you see, the promise was ordained by God. 
Because if it wasn't ordained by God, sparing her would have been a disobedient act from, by, from the Israelites to God, and Israelites probably wouldn't be where they are today. It was most definitely a good promise from Rahab. And it was a Rahab between her and God Himself. And that promise and her belief in that promise is what saved her. And it will save you guys too. Our promise. How great is our promise with God? The promise to have a mansion in heaven and dwell with God forever. We see another instance also of God keeping His promise here. For us as Christians, we get encouraged. We know that God is faithful to His promises. We know that we will get to live with Him in heaven. We know there will be no more pain and suffering. If you're under the blood, our God is faithful to His promise. We could trust Him. Rahab did. She trusted God's promise. That's why she stayed in her house. Which then brings me to my final point about Rahab. Let's think. Where is Rahab's house located at? Where was Rahab's house located at in the city of Jericho? Her house was built upon the wall. It was literally on the wall. And what did we read that just happened? The walls fell. So her house was upon a wall that just fell. How crazy is that? It's, it's almost mind-baffling. When I think about that, I always think back to a game called Minecraft where you'd build a house on something. If you hit it away, it would just be floating in the air. But... God actually saved a house that should have been crumbling down. It's, it's kind of crazy picturing in my head. But Rahab, with these walls falling over, she stayed in her house like she was told until they brought him out. Remember, she was told if any leave the house, they broke the promise and their deaths would not be upon Israel. So Rahab faithful to the promise, stays in her house. She has faith in the promise and she dwells in the place that would be considered the most dangerous place. And yet, she is alive while the rest perish. That's how strong God's promise is. That's how strong the blood of Christ is. It was that scarlet cord which really represents the blood of Christ and her faith which held that house up. Just like the blood's lamb in Egypt during Passover. And just like it is with Jesus Christ's blood for us. This shows us that if we abide in Him, we will be safe. We will be left standing while everybody else perishes. But if you leave that house, if you don't have faith in that great promise, death is awaiting you. Finishing up, it says, And Joshua adjured them at this time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth the city Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and his youngest shall be the set up the gates of it. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the country. So Joshua now is foretelling what will happen if this place is rebuilt upon. This place is to remain destroyed. It is to remain Evidence of God's judgment against sin. Honestly, when I read this, I think about when I was lost. I wish I could get rid of those years. I wish I could just forget them, never go back. 
But we can even use those. There's thoughts we don't like to remember, the thoughts we don't like to dwell upon, but we could use it as a witness of what God brought you from. The strength that he had to pull you out of that sin. And you could still use that for unfortunate events today. We see how capable the Lord is and where he brought you from. I also want to note here in verse 26 that this was actually done in 1 Kings chapter 16 if you want to check it out. But if you guys knock down sin in your life, this shows us, don't build it back up. It won't bring you any good. And I want us to also note this very last part. It says, so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was noised throughout all the country. What a way to end the chapter. The Lord was with Joshua. God is fulfilling the promise He gave Joshua in chapter 1 of this book. And we see that God was with him. Not only was He with him before the battle, but now He is with him after. And that's how it will be with our battle here on earth. With the Lord. Something I'm very much looking forward to. Concluding, I want us to keep thinking about sin. We need to understand the destruction it brings. The destruction it will cause yourself, but not only yourself, it will cause others, many others. It leaves a trail of blood behind. It's only good for a season, but then it leaves a path of despair. We must know and understand what it does because the wages of it is death, right? When we sin, we're worthy of God's judgment just like the Canaanites were worthy of theirs. And we learn that God's judgment is just and righteous. He is perfect in it. If he says you're worthy of death, you're worthy of death. He knows things we don't. We can't comprehend the things of God. And finally, think of the way out of destruction. Just like Rahab took belief, took a true belief, and faith in God and faith in God's promise and His abilities. And then recognize the blood, precious blood of Jesus. Because just like that scarlet cord, it, it brings forth protection. Just like it did on the house, on the wall that could not fall. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank You for bringing us here again another day. Lord, help us to see the sin in our lives, Lord, and help us to kick it out. Help us to knock it down. Help us to destroy that sin. And Lord, help us to keep it knocked down, to keep it as a remembrance of what you brought us from and not to try to build it back up as the world will try and tempt us to do. Lord, help us to be faithful servants to you. Help us to live for you and to always be there as your servant. Lord, be with all of our sister churches. Lord, be with us as we go through the work week. Help us to be faithful servants. And Lord, finally, thank you for the blood of Jesus that saved us all. We are just vile and wicked and deserving of death. Lord, that you sent your son foreordained to save us all. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.